Hello and welcome to the Free Associates. That's right, folks, the Free Associates, the freedom of association, the freedom to associate with anything, any idea that comes our way. Because why? Because freedom is excellent. It's so good. It's so good for an exchange of ideas. And so we like to keep it loose. That's what we do. We stay loose, we stay loose, and we come into the conversation knowing little, and we end the conversation knowing just a little more. But we try to stay away from any kind of expertise, which is interesting because this show will be talking about expertise. We're not experts. We would never schedule a topic on which we're experts because that would be a disaster. That's not what we do. And so we welcome to the Free Associates. You'll notice that on Facebook, uh, we have a page. We'd love it if you like it. Love it if you like it. That's a good album name. This is our card, our business card, the Free Associates. Isn't that beautiful gold? I had those made right before the pandemic. Can't hand them out for a little while, unfortunately. But boy, they're going to be worth a lot when this thing is done. Um, we also have the freeassociates.us. What we usually do is we do a reading and then we discuss it. We just kind of kick it around a little bit. And so that is what we do on this show. If you're listening on WMUA Amherst, you're looking, listening to a rebroadcast. So every day we do it on Facebook Live. The next day we put it on so that people of the valley, the verdant green valley that we live in, can have some connection. Uh, Waylon, how you doing, pal? Doing good. How's it going, man? It's good. It's good, man. I'm so jealous of your van. We're going to talk about that later. I mean, Waylon's got... I mean, this is... Just you got to stay tuned because he's got a picture of this thing. It's beautiful. But I want to bring on our guest. And we actually have a really valued guest today uh, because uh, our guest is going to need to trot in just a couple of seven, eight minutes. But um, Catherine Chiaverly, is that right? Can I do the last name? Is that okay? Very close. Okay. Good okay. Job. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Um, it's so good to have you on. You're an old friend of uh, my wife and I, and we love uh, your family so much. And you're in Hatfield, is that right? Yes, it's beautiful out here, and we're, uh, we're very thankful for the space. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, the, I've never been more seasonally affected than during this situation. I mean, when it's sunny, I'm like, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> you know, when it's when it's cloudy, I'm like, I think this could be the end of the world. So <laughs> thank God for the sun. Very true. Very yeah, true. Yeah. It's it's nice to see people out walking the dike behind us when it's sunny, and then when, oh, yeah. when no one's around, it's gloomy. It's quite dreary. Gloomy. Now, listen. We'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, real estate. You have both residential and commercial real estate in Northampton and Amherst, right? Isn't that your specialty? That's correct. Yes. So tell us. I mean, obviously, this is major. So if, if illuminate a little bit what your experience has been, particularly with your retail tenants. In sure. light of this so, shutdown. So as soon as um, we started getting notice that we might um, experience a shutdown in Massachusetts, we created a, a COVID website ourselves um, with as much information that we could give both our residential um, and commercial tenants. We started out with you know, where they could order food um, and through what sites, who was open, Uh, The Amherst Area Chamber of Commerce has done an incredible job, as well as the Northampton's Chamber, of updating everybody, um, providing tons of links to, uh, again, both residential and commercial tenants. So we started out with that. Um, Our commercial tenants have really, both in Northampton, Hadley, and Amherst, been very strong. Um, Everyone, obviously, is, they're nervous. Um, no one knows exactly what's going to go on. Um, last Friday alone, applying for the PPP loan through the CARES Act was very challenging. Um, we 
got notification that the rules changed three times um, oh. in two days. So it was it was moment to moment as people were applying for this loan. Um, and it's very challenging to figure out exactly what you qualified for, depending on what type of business you've had. And hmm. um, for those of you who don't know that this this loan is for payroll, it's for your rent, mortgage interest and utilities, and it's supposed to last for eight weeks um, just to help everyone stay employed in the area. Um, and then there's also another $10,000 forgivable grant that's being offered um, commercially as well. So we're, we're trying to help all of our tenants, especially those where English might not be their first language, um, to apply for the grants, to give them as much information and help as we can to help them, uh, survive this time. And, you know, we, we truly expect that everything will be okay soon, but you know, we all need to take our time and hopefully take some takeout because they are, they are Mm -hmm. relying still many of them, um, on takeout. Um, at this point, but they're are, working. Are the these working as hard as they can? Are these kind of like low interest loans? Is that the idea of them? I mean, they're actually for for the most part forgivable. Right. These two right. particular loans, um, if you use them for the things that I mentioned before, they're supposed to be forgivable wow. as well as the ten thousand dollar grant. Wow. Um, the SBA is offering other loans, um, which have different rates for nonprofits and commercial. I believe it's uh, 3.759 for profit businesses, and it's lower for nonprofit. Um, and that can be up to a 30-year term, um, depending on what, again, you're going to use the money for and your um, cash flow this year over the previous year. Now, so they base it on that. You know, we've talked about this for a while. Retail is obviously in a funny situation anyway, right? It's been challenged for a while. Um, what is your feeling? I mean, do you feel like most of these businesses are going to be able to kind of come back? Do you, because they're food, they have an advantage, right? So a food? luckily, a lot of our tenants are experience-based, as is, you know, the current trend. We we don't have any typical retailers. Um, you know, we have a bar, a nightclub, Pilates, coffee, and then lots of different types of restaurants um, that lease from us. So I think all of our tenants should be safe. Um, I think the majority of people will be chomping at the bit to get out of their homes and and go experience Mm -hmm. things better and eat a variety of foods. It's one of my favorite things about the United States is that every night of the week you can eat from a different country. That is becoming challenging in our household, I know. Um, but, um, so I, I, I have high hopes for, for everything, but I was really see that stores like A to Z, um, now have an online component, Richardson. Hmm. <laughs> Circumstance, it's forced retailers to go online. And I hmm. think that once this is over, they will then have the capacity to have in-person and online, and hopefully they'll succeed even further. Yeah, well, that would, that would be good. And A to Z has got a really good setup there. So you're bullish, and Whalen is bullish too. So that's the yeah. good news. Although I, have a, I do have yeah. a question. How, how much of an impact has it has on the on, – so just takeout right now. Uh, actually, two questions. One, I heard that you could – that there were uh, – alcohol sales going on too. How does that, how has that affected things? Are there deals that they're doing? Are they just trying to get rid of their inventory on it? 
And, uh, and two, how, how much recuperation of what they, what a normal restaurant would do, um, how big of a hit are they taking just by doing just, uh, just takeout? Well, it depends on the type of restaurant from who I've heard from. Um, I mean, it's been, it's been relatively slow. You know, people are a little scared at this point to go out. Um, I think they've dropped off to sometimes only a handful of people a day. So they're minimizing staff. Um, and it's, and some of, some have closed, some are minimizing staff just to just the owners themselves. Um, so hopefully with, you know, the loan that we were just speaking about, the payroll loan, they'll just be able to keep their employees paid while solely working as sole proprietors during this time because it has yeah. dropped off significantly, understandably yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a smart loan because you get you keep people employed. That means they're not on unemployment. It means they're still attached to the businesses that they're in. Seems like a smart a smart law. So yeah. Go ahead, Catherine. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm just hoping that at this point, I mean, the SBA was so flooded on Friday mm-hmm. that we could hear uh, some updates on the loans. You know, yeah. that is the number one question I get from my commercial tenants is, when do you think we'll get the loans? And unfortunately, I know I know less than the bankers who don't seem to know terribly much at this point. So I'm hoping information starts flowing a little bit more freely in the next coming days. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks. so. And we know that you have to jet, but thanks so much for being on the show. And we want to get you back on real soon. I'd love to be back. Yeah, thanks for having so me. Sorry, I have to leave early, but I've got to okay. take care of the kids. That's what it is. Okay, okay. thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. 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 So, yes, you know, Waylon, you know, she's your kind of person. She believes that we're all going to be back out in a couple of weeks uh, or three or four weeks and that business will come back. So that's music to your ears. Uh, well, OK, well, I don't know about two or three weeks. So let's, no. I, I don't know when that okay. timetable is. Oh, when okay. we eventually get there, that's when people will celebrate and things will go back to normal. OK, I, just yeah, wanna, yeah. I, I don't know where that timetable is, but I do have confidence that we'll get back there. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think the whole alcohol sales thing is kind of weird. <laughs> like, I don't totally understand well, that. So that's what I was thinking. So is it something where it's like, okay, like I will, I will sell you a bottle of beer for two bucks, yeah. or is it still like an exorbitant amount right. of, you know, yeah. like is it like a five, like are you gonna get like a to go thing of like a mar- margarita <laughs> from Mission Cantina down the street? Like, I wonder uh, how this all works. I don't under, here's my only thinking on this is there are some dry towns in Massachusetts like Arlington's dry it's not dry there's no liquor stores so I don't know maybe because otherwise why wouldn't you just go to the liquor store because you're right I'm not going to pay a premium for a beer unless I'm sitting outside in a park it doesn't make sense to me so there's something funny about it to be sure there we go. Hey, uh, Cam, can you hear me? Sorry, we were having a technical difficulty. The uh, the microphone was disconnected for it, but I think that you could hear me now on the live stream. So okay, hopefully cool. uh, you can hear me now. We also testing we can- one, two. There we go. Thank you for uh, thank you for that, Cam. And also, Catherine kind of cut out a minute there too, so that might be some of the issue. Listen, Waylon, can I just say you look excellent? I really feel like this should be your you uniform. Like you like I like this? it, man. Yeah. I like it. This is my uniform. You know, I got my shirt. I got my, my I corduroy jacket. I feel like this is good for you because it's got Steve Jobsy kind of quality, you know, but it's clean. Yeah, and- it's got it. Yeah, I, I don't like. I like the. I like the modesty in the clothing. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm modesty in the clothing mm-hmm. kind of guy. I don't. I like to be like somebody that you don't judge a book by its cover. So I like to dress a little, just like well, dingy. But your fa- your facial stuff. your facial hair is kind of weird. It makes up for. Well, that. don't judge a, don't judge a guy that drives around in a in a Chevy van with a mustache by its, by its covers. Is yeah. Well, you you carry it off. You somehow carry it off. So that's good. Should we move on? I do want to take. I have to say that yeah, um, I was filled with envy this weekend. I got that picture of you working on your van. I was also impressed. Do you have do you have skills at carpentry skills, or is that a pretty easy job you're doing on the back of that van? Well, so full disclosure, I was over my one of my best friends, uh, okay. Rick Feldman's house, who has a whole bunch of tools. And okay. So that's what that's where I was doing it. He we started it together. Yeah. And then the next day, I we probably did about thirty percent, and then I understood where how to kind of operate, and I did the the next seventy percent myself. Well, that's what that's all you need. You need someone who's gonna like point you in the right direction. Uh, let, me I, that, if I, let me see if I can bring up. Do you want to do some show and tell? Do you want to do show and tell now? Let's show and tell. Can, do you just see. tell me what we're looking at? I can bring this up. Okay, so this is my van. This is what I was doing this week. This oh. is the free van that Wayland was given at a gas station. Free van. Perfect for what you're doing to it because it's got no windows on the back sides, right? This is a yep. sleeper van. This is a sleeper van. So, and, yeah, so today I'm going to try to sand that down. I'm going to um, stain it, get it all. Oh, what stain color? What are you going stain color? Uh, so I'm probably going to go, uh, it's actually called, uh, what is it called? It's something like colonial maple, mm-hmm. which is kind of like this reddish hue. Cool. I used it for this platform that I made, but it's, it's nice. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a little lighter than like a mahogany or something like that, or a, a red cedar or whatever. Are you so going to sh- like red cedar, but a little lighter. Are you going to shellac it? Gonna shellac that? Oh yeah, gotta shellac it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's excellent. Uh, all right, pull up my picture. Okay, let's do now, it. Boom. I was inspired. What we have here is a pot. This has got to be a classic, like photo student kind of picture, right? Waylon, how would you critique this photo? You're the you're the expert. Well, I don't know what the hell is going on in it, but well, um, that's good though. It's good that you don't know. That's kind of like yeah. So this is this is okay. So this is this is my guess for what's going on. Okay, um, I'm going to say that that is you're doing something. You're you're like air seasoning with the tea. Is that what's going on? Yeah, you're giving you're giving us too too much credit. Remember, it's in the sink. That should be a clue. So there's tea bags instead of rice or couscous. Uh, close. It's it's a pot of oatmeal that's got hot water in it so that it doesn't stick to the oh. side, and then it's a couple of tea bags just thrown in there. So this could be this could be like could title this the ruins of breakfast or something like that. What do you think? It's got an egg quality too. I thought it was some harebrained Northampton scheme to uh, for like some sort of miracle. Uh, Ah, food right there. Miracle <laughs> cure for COVID. No, it's not. Um, what, what, what do you think? It's a good photo or not? What's your thoughts on it? It got you thinking. You couldn't figure what, out what it was. The, uh, compositionally and everything. Yeah, compositionally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh no, no. Really? Okay. What's wrong with it? So, and I mean, this this. If a kid came back from yes, from class, that's what I'm asking you. So okay, so there's a couple of things going on with it. One. You are what you fell into what I call the tourist trap. So the tourist mm. trap is where you just center everything. If you uh, use your eyes, now I'm getting into teacher mode, but yeah, everything okay. that we see 
is uh, if you're looking at something, you can't in your peripheral vision, things are blurry. We're, we have really good peripheral vision. You can see like 180 degrees over here. Yeah. But you don't actually see it. Like you were supposed to make sure that there's no saber toothed tiger jumping out of the bushes and, and eating. Where you actually focus all your attention is the cent the center of your gaze, like immediately to the middle. Okay. And everything else from right that in that pinpoint center blurs and starts and starts to degrade when when it comes to your focus. So when we take pictures, our first initial gut reaction is to zoom in and in center whatever we're looking at because that's how we see the world rather than putting things to the right mm. or the left. And that's mm. where the rule of thirds comes into play. So oh, okay. All right. I really should take your course. Like, should take yeah. your night school course. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I accept it. Listen, I'm not defensive, you know? I'm not defensive. Um, I I'm, do like – I will say this, though. I do like inside of the picture. Mm -hmm. I do like what's going on with the reflections. Yes. And I do like what's going on with the tonal values, the lightness and darkness of the picture. So it's not, it's not a total wash right here, but mm – -hmm. You can't put just things into the center just because we, we have a natural tendency to do that. You want to move away from doing that. But the lights and darks and the and the actual, like that bulbous uh, reflection, really good. Yeah, thanks, pal. Classic teacher move. Break them down, break them, and then build them back up again <laughs> with compliments. I'll accept it. I'll accept it. Although I do have to say your theory runs the risk of it be, everything being very arty and on the side, right? Like every nothing is centered, you know. Like that. Oh a little no 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 no! Wait, wait. We want to get into it. You no no no, no no! I don't want to get into it. No, who's the master of? Who is the master of centered symmetry? I'll give you a hint. Cinematographer, director. Okay, hold on. Cinematographer, director. Oh, Kubrick. Um, Kubrick. Uh, well, he's he's very good too, especially in two thousand one. But um, and The Shining. Uh, dancer. Oh no! Give me another hint, man. I'm a cineast. Uh, whimsical. And, Wes, Wes Anderson. Uh, retro. Yes. Okay. Everything in his movies is centered, centered symmetry. Uh, composition. Uh, uh. Beautiful. Yeah, well, Kubrick too, though. Shining. Look at the symmetry in The Shining. Oh, it's yeah. all over it. But yeah, Wes Anderson, that's a conversation for a different time. Um, I actually got into Facebook conversation about Harold and Maude. And, you know, that movie's so influential because Wes Anderson comes right out of that film and so much to other directors. But you know, anyway, shall we move on? We shall. Now, do you want me to read this text? Now, every day, weekday, we've been looking at a different thing from Politico, a little couple of paragraphs of someone predicting how this COVID might impact American society. Do you want me to read that aloud, um, Waylon? Yeah, um, just something? talk about it a little bit because I got to sure. bring in the graphic board. But. So, and it's, you know, it's it's been interesting because a bunch of different authors are, it's usually somehow in their wheelhouse. That is, if they're interested in polarization, that's what they're tackling. And that makes all the sense in the world. Um, and what Waylon and I and often our guests are trying to do is trying to say, well, is this really going to happen? You know, we've looked at social distancing. We, um, Waylon and I agreed, uh, although our guest Elena Fragamini disagreed. Uh, actually, she agreed with the article. We disagreed with the article. I was somewhere in the middle. Waylon thinks that people are going to be running into each other's arms by June. And I mean, I kind of think so too, but I don't think everybody will, that's for sure. And then we also looked at polarization, and I made the argument that um, the economic stuff might decrease polarization because it's going to shake up the system so significantly. And so we've yes. been kind of moving through these. Uh, today's one is about expertise, okay? So, Waylon, should we go ahead and read that? Yeah, in, in five, okay. five seconds. Ahead. Okay, sure, sure. Sorry. Okay. 
Yeah. All right. So this one's called The Return to Faith and Serious Experts by Tom Nichols. He's a professor at the U.S. Naval War College and the author of The Death of Expertise. America for several years has become a fundamentally unserious country. This is the luxury afforded us by peace, affluence, and a high level of consumer technology. We didn't have to think about things that once focused our minds. Nuclear war, oil shortage, high unemployment, skyrocketing interest rates. Terrorism has receded back to being a kind of notional threat for which we dispatch volunteers in our military to the far corners of the desert as the advance guard of the homeland. We even elevated a reality TV star to the presidency as a populist attack on the bureaucracy and expertise that makes most of the government function on a day-to-day basis. The COVID-19 crisis could change this in two ways. First, it has already forced people to accepting that expertise matters. It was easy to sneer at experts until a pandemic arrived, and then people wanted to hear from medical professionals like Anthony Fauci if that's how you say his name. Second, it may, one might hope, return Americans to a new seriousness or at least move them back towards the idea that government is a matter for serious people. The colossal failure of the Trump administration both to keep Americans healthy and to slow the pandemic-driven implosion of the economy might shock the public enough back to insisting on something from government other than emotional satisfaction. Oh, boy. Okay, so we have a pretty bold statement here. What's your thoughts, Waylon? Well, the first thing that sticks out is that it is taking for granted the idea that uh, Trump, that this is perceived as a Trump failure. Mm-hmm. When you look at his, that his approval rating hovers around somewhere in the in the mid 40s to high 40s. So mm-hmm. just right there, I think that this that that kind of just blows this hypothesis out of the water because you would need for people to be understanding and analyzing all of this in the same way and coming to the same conclusions. So that sticks out immediately. And second off. The amount of misinformation that I see distributed every day is just absolutely mind boggling. So even if people Mm. are subscribing to the idea that there is a like inkling of seriousness in the experts that they're that they're, they're digesting their information from. People don't understand what an expert is. So they're so in this democratized version of information people are thinking that there's serious experts when in fact it's somebody probably you know hmm. pawning some sort of thing like uh, Alex Jones did with his uh, with his whatever uh, snake oil that he was selling okay yeah it does it makes a lot of sense I think there's a lot of problems with this um, little article it's interesting that we're talking about someone who's basically an expert on the death of expertise right because that's the book that's going to be coming out or has already come out. And so, you know, technically this guy is supposed to be an expert on this, but, you know, your point is really well taken. There's no mention of how the Internet has really changed stuff. And, like, you know, this is an idea I've had for many years, is that, in a way, we're living not through the dark ages, but, like, what I would call the blinding light ages. That is, so much information is going out all the time that it it all gets negated. Um, An example of this is... For sure, I love that. A lot of um, Kennedy assassin conspiracy theorists think that the CIA was running like six Oswalds at one time. Have you ever heard that theory? And there's some proof to back it up. Uh, Anyways, it's not unusual for covert operations to not try to keep information secret, but to have so much information that you just can't figure it out. You know, you can't sort it because it's much easier... um, instead of keeping a secret, just to overload people with information, because then they just can't, they can't figure it out. And so I agree Especially, with you. Especially, yeah. 
especially as how disguised I, I think everything is. I mean, just think about us for for a moment. <laughs> we I mean, we're like the we always you know rail against trying to be experts or anything, but mm -hmm. there's a certain level of of heightened at least perceived um expertise when it comes to certain things when we think about branding so just think about this graphic right here right if we didn't have this graphic and it was just a zoom mm -hmm. the, the, this is the only thing that is separating us from being on a zoom call right, right. so it's just it, when, when when people it's easy to hmm. um get caught up in believing that somebody is a serious expert because the things that we util, usually utilize to find to discern who's an expert is or or not is production quality, visualization, yeah. uh, the, the, the rhetoric that is being used. So even things like just, it's just mind boggling how we can get trapped in that so easily for just such aesthetic slash topical things. Absolutely. And I actually think in a lot of ways, this piece more than the other pieces cuts really to the bone of what we try to do on the show. And what we're, we're very like, I think, skeptical of ourselves, because what you say is, uh, expertise based on what? Based on production quality, based on resources, based on wealth, based on aesthetic choices. Where where does someone become an expert? Um, so I really uh, agree with you, Waylon, on that one. Also, I just think there's a couple of sentences that are like, um, that are so tilted. One of them is the colossal failure of the Trump administration, both to keep Americans healthy and to slow the pandemic driven implosion of the economy. That second part, I don't know. I think that that might be uh, asking for too much. Now, here's when I read this, Waylon, I would like to get your opinion on this. When I read this, uh, first of all, I didn't really like the first paragraph either. You know, he's basically saying Americans are unserious and unfocused. But what about global warming? I mean, he's acting like we're just like partying all the time. I think there's we know that we've just been through an age of massive anxiety. It's not like people aren't focused on anxious stuff. Um, global warming's way scarier than high interest rates or terrorism because it's so vast. And just on a side note, I know I've recommended this to you, but the Philosophize This podcast is amazing. And one of the ones he does, um, and which I want to do with you, is Walter Lippmann, who wrote a really important essay in 1922 that's called Public Opinion. And he basically says, you know what, like in a democracy, everything is so complicated and vast, you can't possibly even know one subject well enough to talk on it. And so what we do instead is we're funneled into these tracks of opinions that we're fed and then kind of restate. But there's no way you can know this stuff because it's so deep. Maybe you can know one thing, but you can't be an expert on global warming and healthcare for all and, you know, like school choice. Like it's just not possible. So but, well, in addition yeah. to that, too, just to add and support what you're saying, we live in an age where new revelations about every industry and every and every specialization rapidly change because of the technology that's being integrated into it. So you might be an expert in something, but the solutions to the problems hyper evolve to the point where in two or three or four years, you might be yeah. the, the information that you have and the technologies that were being used were obsolete. And, and you're, you're now having to constantly update yourself and update your knowledge and your, and your skills and your information to the point where you can easily uh, just lose track of what's going on. That's well, the well, and the other part of that even is there's a danger there that once you're attached to one like reasoning that you're going to resist those changes that technology is bringing. Um, you're not going to adapt. Like that would be the best scenario. There's this great example, and I can't remember if I read it in George Packer's book, The Unwinding, where he's talking about experts. He's talking about cardiologists. 
And he talks about how every year there's a cardiologist convention and all these heart doctors go to it and the fatality rates drop for heart patients because they're doing like really unnecessary procedures that are like dangerous because it's like, Oh, really? Yeah, it's like the wisdom of the cardiologist community. Experts can really work against themselves. So here's my meta attack on this piece. And this is like like an aerial bombing. This is like Vietnam rolling thunder on this thing. He acts like um, suspicion of experts is some kind of like fruity thing, that it's not based on something. My contention is that the reason people rejected experts... The reason that a populist movement arose is because um, expertise was utilized in the favor of institutions to really um, pillage the American public in certain parts, like the banking uh, stuff and other things. Like the fact that people have rejected experts is based not just it's not just you can't just call it a populist movement. It is a populist movement, but it's based on the fact that like American capitalism became scam capitalism. And if you're on the wrong side of that dam, you just got flooded out of existence. It's not based just on like people being whimsical. I feel like that's a really naive attitude to have. I think that faith in institutions have eroded because a lot of institutions have fed on the American public. What are your thoughts on that? And if so, and if that's yeah. true, then we have to deal with that. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. One, distrust. And two, uh the best way that I've seen it put was by Stephen Colbert on the Colbert Report. And it comes down to what he was talking about. It was at the time, it was, it was uh, a term they was coining because of Republicans, but this, is, this holds true for everyone across the polit- political spectrum. And the, it was the definition of truthiness. Hmm. Truthiness is the idea that you need to trust your gut way more than you trust anything, all, any external knowledge or, or information that you're getting. And... That's exactly what people do, one, just in general, and two, especially when there's so much stuff going on and there's a heightened level of anxiety and fear. Mm-hmm. And the thing that you're going to go back to in, in, any, in, in any one of these things, I could tell you how much it hurts to put your hand on a, uh, on a hot burner, right? I could, I, could show you a, I could show you pictures and graphics and give you stats on everything. What is going to be the biggest deterrent of doing that? Getting your hand on that burner, right? Mm-hmm. It's that idea that that we are such anecdotal people and we are such uh, uh, experiential people that that's the thing that we gravitate towards most. And when it comes to seeing numbers and, and listen to experts, unfortunately, it's easier to just think about internalizing what you've what you've seen in the in the past and and act on that knowledge rather than the things that you are told that you may not have time to go in in fact check or look up or 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 find the trusted source for. Yeah. So I think that anecdotal knowledge and experiential knowledge is the stuff that we that we make the majority of our decisions on. Well, absolutely, and that's been a theme of yours throughout looking at these uh, political pieces. Is like Unless the COVID really impacts you, it's going to be hard to come away with any lasting lessons. But can I flip what you're saying for a minute and say, that's kind of exactly what I'm saying, is that for a lot of Americans, their experience of the last 20 years has, like, anecdotally been highly negative. And so they don't want to hear how everything's better for everybody and how the system's working better. And they don't want to hear about those, 
like feel-good commercials that the banks are putting out or whoever with the ukulele music in the back of the commercial. Their experience is that it's actually really negative for them. And so I feel like this is seen as an attack on expertise. But another way to see it is it's just an attack on resources. Now, what whatever group has the resources can exert expertise. You can come up with a study that says one thing, and I, if you give me the money, I can come up with a study that says the exact opposite. We know this is true. Yeah. Now, this is also interesting. So these worlds don't uh, work exclusively from each other. So the you have this interesting mixture of anecdotal and experiential uh, kind of that truthiness what I'm talking about and where the rubber meets the road on the on the CDC guidelines mm-hmm. and, and what's going on. And I think that there's there's two things that you see. One, uh, just go go outside now as compared to last week. There's so many more people with masks. And that, I mean, that's a good thing, but it's because of the social snowballing that takes place in, in that part. The CDC will say something, mm-hmm. and all of those stats are backed up by, sci- by, by scientific evidence on flattening the curve and this, that, the other thing. But until you see your neighbor wearing that mask, mm-hmm. you're, it's, and it's the same reason why we got into the toilet paper fiasco and the hand sanitizer fiascos. It's because if you are in your bubble and something enters that bubble and you see that and observe it for yourself, now you're going to be acting. And so mm-hmm. I think that you, you do have these, these situations where the individual has heard the, heard about this stuff, but until they see another person doing, doing that, that action or that, that preventative measure, then they, they don't do, do it until, until that point. Yeah. Okay. I think that's really true. And in terms of boots on the ground, that's really true. I do think that America, if, if, if we want Americans to believe in experts, we have to reform some institutions that have been given carte blanche to go after people. Like, that, that's the problem. And I do want to do that. Uh, did you ever listen to that Michael, uh, whoosh, what's the guy's name? Michael Lewis's Against the Rules podcast? Because this is exactly no. what he talks about. He talks about how all of these different situations are rigged. They're rigged in the favor of the people who can afford to rig them. And, you know, he's written, he wrote Moneyball. He wrote all these great books, uh, Liar's Poker. He's excellent. Um, that, with the reading, The Unwinding, George Packer's book, will really illuminate. That book was written before 2016. And you read that book and you're like, oh, okay. You know, like here I am jumping from one cappuccino to another. But like there's this whole other world out there. So this populist movement... Uh, isn't based on just like not caring. It's quite the opposite. The attack on expertise comes from people who are hurting and and have, feel like experts have let them down because the experts have been hired. I don't know if you've ever seen. I don't know if I should just make me do this one small tangent, Waylon. Did you ever see they did a documentary about the housing crisis and they got this Columbia professor and they nailed him so hard because this guy had written a academic study about how the Icelandic banks were in great shape and then after the housing crisis, he changed the title of the study to say Icelandic banks are in trouble and put it on his resume. And they have him in the interview and they said, can you take a look at this? Because this thing on your resume that says that the Icelandic banks are in trouble, this paper was originally titled Iceland. And I mean, he just couldn't do anything. He just sat there like, <laughs> and we had that with the banking crisis too. So here's my hope is that, you know, during times of need, meritocracy reasserts itself. You know, you look at General Grant and Stonewall Jackson and General Lee, 
they were all super backbenchers before the Civil War. You know, Grant was working at a clothing store. Stonewall Jackson, I'm not, by the way, in support of the Confederacy. I'm just talking about... Like J.C. Petty's? He's like, he's like, he's like, he's like he's out of J.C. Petty's? Just. No, it was, his, it was even worse. He's like Levi Jeans. <laughs> it was even worse. I think it was his father-in-law's uh, tour. And he had totally washed oh, out. Mr. Woolsworth. <laughs> he had totally washed out. But the point is, is that, oh, like, I'll give you another example. Hollywood had crashed so bad in the late 60s that they're like, all right, I guess we should let these young directors make movies because we don't know how to do it anymore. George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese. When there's a need, institutions' hierarchy will shake up and uh, excellence will reassert itself in those institutions because it's necessary. When it's not necessary, everyone can play politics and games and get to the top. But when you actually need an expert, someone presents itself. Now, here's, here's another thing when we're talking about experts. Here's a question I pose. Who actually needs the experts, right? When you think about it, so you were talking about the, the heart doctors getting together. And, and aside from the, the, the drop, the, that, that component of it, the experts need the experts. And the experts need those in charge that are enacting legislation or executive orders or these, or these, all of these things. So as long as you have the attention of the individuals that are open to these discussions and are actively in these leadership positions, those are the individuals that you need to lead and guide what's going on. Because I'm not saying that, that everybody can't be, uh, have time for, for the experts, but I certainly hope that our leaders are open and receptive because that's their job is to, mm -hmm. is to understand the information, analyze it, and, and react accordingly. So mm -hmm. to some extent, I understand where people come, uh, when, where people come from when, when they're like, I just don't have time to, to do this fact-checking or to, to, to listen to this expert because I have to take care of my family and I need to think about unemployment in my job and my high, higher anxiety and stress and all of this stuff because I elected an individual to do that for me. Yeah. Right. So there are. So the thing that you really want to do is emphasize is who the ex who if, if not everybody's going to listen to the experts, who are the people that we absolutely need to, to be essentially listening to? Absolutely. I agree with you. And in the reverse, you know, a good president is like a good film director. You know, they hire a director of photography because that's what that's the look they're going to get. They don't. There's stuff that they just can't decide, that, that they trust that, that per, the sound person is really good or the casting person is really good. That's what executive functioning is. And so you also hope that that's going on top down as well as top up. But then you really want institutions to give you experts that aren't just political infighters that work their way up through the ranks, but people who actually know what they're talking about. And you do get that in times of crisis. Someone will present, I'm actually reading Churchill, a book on Churchill right now, Splendid Vile which is, you know, he's he's definitely had merit, but it took the invasion of the lowlands before Churchill became prime minister and was able to exert his excellence. So that's the hope. All right, why don't we kind of take our take ourselves on the out here, Waylon? Um, it's a, I have to say, of all the pieces we've read, this is the one where I'm like, I'm kind of the most uh, antagonistic towards it. I don't know about you. I mean, it makes sense that we might be, but what's your what's your last thoughts on this? 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 a pragmatic optimist. That's how I view myself. And and this one was something that was a little bit too idealist for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly hope people are thinking about uh, about experts, and I certainly hope that we can can kind of communally understand that there are some people that we should listen to and some people that we should not listen to. Although unfortunately, that's a little harder to do in our society um, nowadays. But yeah, I would say that this one this one didn't hit the mark for me. Yeah, although I, I say listen to everybody. You know, listen to everybody. It's okay. It's okay to expose yourself. And and by Underst- the way... I would say understand any everybody. And listen and understand everybody, but don't necessarily follow everybody. Right. And if I can just add to that, if someone you really don't like says something that actually makes sense, incorporate it. You know, you can divorce yourself from... Uh, if you don't like the president, that's fine. But every once out of 40 times, the president might say something. You're like, well, actually, that's kind of a good point. Maybe we should look at it. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because then we don't get access to that important question. All right, folks. Well, you've been listening to The Free Associates. It's the whale dog and I, the BIQ, the barbarian in question. We are old compadres. We are separated by this pandemic. Although, Waylon, my dream uh, bro date with you is that you take the new van, you park it in my uh, driveway, we get a fire going in the back, and uh, you can sleep in your van. I'll be in the house. We'll keep social distancing. How about this? How about I drive the van into the back and through the pane of glass... Yeah. <laughs> the boy in the bubble. <laughs> you don't know that reference, but that's like a 19th Yeah, John Travolta. Oh, oh he no. knows it. He knows it. Got he knows it. it. All right, guys. Well, listen, it, we can always find all episodes. We podcast them. If you're listening to WMUA Amherst, thanks for listening to us. If you're on Facebook Live, then please go to the Free Associates page. Join us. And uh, we'll be continuing doing this throughout the quarantine as such. And we look forward to the time where we can all have a live, in-person free association spaghetti dinner. That's my goal. Waylon, what's your plan for the day? You're going to sand that van down? Yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm going to sand that down. I'm going to stain it. I'm going to see how far I can get. Hopefully yeah. two levels of poly. Think about the tires, but we'll see. Yeah, those rims need work, man. You're going to need yeah. to get some rims for those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the color. But we'll figure that out. And I am going to get as much vitamin D as I can out there. The parks are closed, but the streets aren't. So boogie down while they're at. We're entering the next couple of weeks. It's going to be for real. So stay safe, but also stay sane. And if you're one of our students, we're grading you now. So get back in we class. We'll get back in class. All right. <laughs> thanks so much for being with the Free Associates, and we'll see you real soon. <laughs>